On this episode of AvTalk, we discuss the extremely rare incident where a Southwest Airlines 737 struck and killed someone on the runway while landing in Austin. We also see which airlines are continuing to shrink their fleets, and we take a look at the traffic numbers to see where flights are starting to creep up. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Hi, Ian. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm well. And you? <laughs> that was that was the least convincing I'm well I think I've ever heard. Yeah, well, I think we all are probably in that same state right now. Isn't it such like a weird like and, and I've had this on email especially where people are like, I hope you're well. I'm like, no one is well. There At are no point, well no, people. I, I, at this point, Gmail is just auto-completing the first four sentences of every email I send. <laughs> I hope you and your family are well and staying healthy in these tab, know, uncertain tab, 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 tab. Exactly. And then eventually you get to what you actually meant to say. <laughs> I appreciate that people are being polite, I guess. And I do truly hope that people are healthy. Don't misconstrue my small complaint here or quibble with our use of language. But I just it's kind of funny to me that we've gotten to the point where it's like, yeah, I, I hope you're still all right. And, and people are actually like, I actually hope you're still all like, hope everybody's there. It's just weird to me, but it's a weird week. I mean, it's been a weird couple of weeks because I feel like a lot has happened, but we're in the same place we were two weeks ago. Right. Nothing has happened. People are calculating the how many days since the last time they were on an airplane. I 74 for me. So 74 days since the, I was last on an airplane, probably for you a lot longer, but that's probably actually kind of normal. My last trip was the like the first of March, oh. the last of February. It was the SAS A three fifty inaugural. Oh, so which, not that far off. No, no. Which which feel it it feels like seventy four years ago. But yeah, it's I guess it's only been that amount of days. About we're in the same place. I mean, both with dealing with the disease and how travel is starting to come back. I think American Airlines said today that in March their load factor was. 15% and now they're up to 35 across all of their flights, which dramatic improvement, but still down from what, 79 to 85-ish, somewhere in there, perhaps even higher domestically. Things are not getting back to normal. People are flying. The TSA numbers, the throughput has gone up. I think it was over 250,000 for the first time since the beginning of March over the, the past week. But then, of course, we're looking at 2 million is the normal level. So obviously, nowhere near normal. Um, and, and I don't think we're going to be for some time. I keep seeing these pieces of when various organizations are forecasting demand to come back. They range so wildly that I often wonder if they're looking at the same situation where yeah. you get some some organizations are saying, well, next year it's going to start looking better. And then other organizations nope, are like, well, 2024, we might be back to... I'm like, well, how do you get a three-year spread? What is the variance there? Nobody really knows. What we do know is domestic travel will almost certainly come back quicker and, and fiercer than international travel, mostly because there are just so many travel restrictions out there. And I legitimately don't know if I can actually get on an airplane and fly somewhere internationally right now since there's so many 
quarantine restrictions and border restrictions. So domestic will come back, but we won't get back to the high load factors we had for quite a while, I assume. It's a great time to be a non-rev flyer, if that's your thing, if you're able and healthy to fly once we get back to that position. So that'll be a nice change for employees. Yeah, I guess that's an interesting way to look at it, that when thing, when restrictions are eased, the first people who can take advantage of that are the folks who you know can non-rev. But it's just sitting, it's like waiting, waiting for the next thing to happen. We will see. We have no idea what happens in a couple months, let alone two weeks from now. And that's the show. All right. <laughs> oh, boy. Things did happen over the past couple of weeks. Prove it. One absolutely mystifying thing happened the Thursday night after we recorded the last podcast. So it happened right before, as these things are, are wont to do, major news happened after we had recorded, but before the podcast came out. And in this case, a Southwest Airlines 737 landing in Austin, Texas, struck and killed someone on the runway. Huh. That's unusual. Exactly. So my first thought when the news came out was that they were mistaken and something had happened on a taxiway. Like the plane had struck a a baggage tug or or something like that. And the person that had been driving that vehicle or, or been out on the ramp had been killed. But sure enough, upon landing, the aircraft struck a person who was on the runway and killed that person. And reviewing the ATC audio, the pilot says, I think there was somebody on the runway. And the air traffic controller goes, where? Where where did you see this person? He goes, well, it's behind us now. And so they sent an operations vehicle out there to inspect. And and sure enough, they found this person. About a week later, the airport authorities and, and the police investigating this particular situation determined that this person was not supposed to be at the airport, on the airfield, let alone on the active runway where no one is supposed to be. So the question then becomes, how did this person get there? And why were they where they were? All very good questions. Yes. Ongoing investigation. Very, very strange incident. The last time that I can recall a person being struck by an aircraft was, I think there was, someone was, I believe, being deported somewhere. And I'll have to look this up again because the details are escaping me at the moment. But someone was being deported and escaped custody and ran onto the active airfield and was struck by an aircraft. But these incidents are extremely rare. Yeah, especially actually being hit by an aircraft. There's definitely occasions where there are people on the airport grounds that are not supposed to be there. It's happened quite a number of times at JFK in the last couple of years, but actually getting hit by an aircraft is not common. When we talked with Dan Kierna, who works at Chicago O'Hare about dealing with people, unauthorized access to the airfield, he says it happens not regularly, but occasionally, including I think the the one time that the person did not have any clothes on, if I remember a conversation correctly. But a very, very strange situation in Austin. And we'll, we'll continue to follow to see you know, how the person got there, because I'm sure the the airport and other authorities are very hard at work trying to find out how that happened. Very, very odd. Shall we move on to some of the larger retirements that were announced over the past couple of weeks? It just kind of keeps on going. And in this case, Delta Airlines announced that it is retiring their entire 777 fleet 
by the end of 2020. That's a sad one. That one struck a chord, I think, in the community. Tell me more about this, because it seemed to me that that was in fact the case, but not a case that I necessarily understood, mostly because my interaction with Delta has been very limited. I mean, being based in Chicago, I don't really have the network here to take them, and I've never really had the opportunity to do any long-haul travel with them either. So explain this a a little bit more to me, because I'm lost in the woods. Actually, I'm in the same boat. The Delta 777s didn't actually serve JFK up until very recently when they launched the JFK to Mumbai flight, which only lasted, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks or months before the whole COVID thing. But we hadn't seen them for quite a long time. They operated JFK to Narita which used to be a Northwest route, which they canceled a number of years ago. So I have actually never been on a Delta 777 flight. Now I probably never will be. But they were an oddball in the Delta fleet, and that should strike you as a commonality among all these retirements, is that they... uh, what is being retired permanently is typically oddballs in the fleet, like Americans, E-190s. The 777s at Delta are no different. They only had 18 of them, so it was a very small subfleet. A majority of them were actually the 777-200LR, which Delta really didn't quite make the most of, not that most other airlines that had LRs really did, but they served some unique routes like Atlanta to Johannesburg, which may or may not actually be able to be operated by any other aircraft currently in the Delta fleet. Didn't Delta come out last week and and say that improvements to the A350 had made that possible? They did, but they didn't specify what improvements or if that is actually- Or if the improvements um, have been made to their particular aircraft. It it could be, I mean, the A350 ULR, which Delta does not currently have or is contracted at any point to take in the future, but that doesn't mean it can't change because it has a large number of A350s coming in the future. And it was especially odd because the Atlanta Joburg flight is actually one of widely believed to be one of Delta's highest grossing flights. So that would be a big hit for them to not be able to operate that anymore. It was also just an interesting route. It was at one point, at least one of the longest flights in the world, but also compounding on top of that, Delta had just finished refurbishing every one of their 777s three months ago. And that was a a pretty large investment. And now they're going to be putting them out to pasture, which is kind of sad. That's certainly one thing to think about. They're spending all this money and then saying, we're just going to retire them, which in the long run, of course, makes sense. And this is certainly not an economics podcast in a strictest sense of the word. So we won't get into sunk cost or anything like that. But from a passenger experience perspective, it's kind of a bummer. It's a huge bummer because not only did it have the new business class and premium economy cabins, but Delta was one of the few airlines in the entire world that when they refurbished the 777, left the seating arrangement at 333 instead of 343, which is a big deal in terms of passenger comfort, but that config is now even more rare once Delta retires these. The other thing that I I guess we should mention right now is that they're currently in use, or at least a good number of them are currently in use flying cargo. For instance, there are two daily flights from Chicago to Frankfurt 
on a Delta 777, which pre-pandemic would have been extremely weird. And now it's just kind of like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. They're also using Atlanta to Asia, destinations in Asia, and I think New York to a few European destinations. So they're still busy, but they'll they'll be gone by the end of the year, I guess. I wonder what happens to them because I really can't reuse those seats on board for anything else. So not exactly a good time for an airline to come and scoop those up and start operating them, but weirder things have happened. Yeah. I mean, who who knows what's on the other side of all of this? So there, there could be some... I think it might be, just to sound perhaps misguidedly optimistic note, it will be very interesting to see if there's possibility for a new airline or new airlines in some places to begin service when all of this kind of shakes out. I don't have an answer there. I'm not even sure if that answer is near yes at all. That's just something I was thinking about. Yeah, we'll see. We will see. Singapore says their goodbyes to their 777-200ERs. Those have been sent to the Australian desert. Those are done. I think that's all that's been announced in the last two weeks. Anyone who really wanted to retire aircraft or planned to retire aircraft has already announced. United has not announced anything. They said they don't want to retire anything preemptively, so they have a lot of stuff parked. They've put out a plan for what they will bring back and where they'll base them. They have not made any announcements on what they're retiring, but really, I think we're we're probably done with this for the time being. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. There are a few airlines that are going through, call it what you want, bankruptcy, reorganization. Thai just entered a reorganization period. Uh, South African Airways is working through what will likely be the first of a few reorganizations (laughs) from what it looks like, and and then Virgin Australia. So there's some capacity there as to kind of see what happens. I know Thai was deferring some leases and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see what comes on the market and what changes. But I think one of the, the more interesting things as far as not necessarily retirements, but what's to come is what the space jet has really done or what Mitsubishi has done with the space jet which is to basically say, eh, we're not going to build that one. Not the whole space jet, but they're not going to build the smaller variant, which would be marketed towards the, the US domestic market. Right. I don't think uh, any of the US airlines or their regional partners have the stomach for a glut of new aircraft or at least a new type of aircraft as well. But the space jet is really a victim of its own issues rather than external issues like COVID, what we're dealing with now. It should have been in service years and years ago at this point. I'm still not convinced there's a proper place in the market for it at this point, but I guess we'll see what they do with it. I mean, they they seem committed to at least building, I always get these backwards. Is it they're building the M100, which is bigger than the M90, or is it they're building the M90, which is actually bigger than the M100? Uh, Sure. Okay. Good answer. In any case, they're building the bigger of the two. We'll see where we go from there. While we're focusing on kind of the economics of things, if anyone wants to buy Jet Airways, your bids should be submitted soon. This is the fourth time they've offered up themselves for someone to come and take what's left. I'm not sure who or why you would want to or why you would even try at this point, but they are, and maybe something will come of it. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, no, no. KLM had snapped up a few of their 777-300 ERs before the world started spinning in the opposite direction, but that's 
been about it, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, they still have a bunch of stuff in storage. They have all of those now white-tailed 737 MAX. The 737-800 fleet that they had- Oh, they're, they're everywhere now. Yeah, they, they scattered. So that got taken up very quickly. I, I guess the rest is just bits and pieces, but I'm not sure what anyone would, even if somebody wanted to to revive Jedi, I'm not sure how you would do that at this point. So an interesting time, I think, to be offering themselves back up for sale, but you know, all the more power to them. Poor Jet Airways. You know what's even, what kind of boggles my mind is that the, the 73 Max was delivered to Jet Airways before Jet went under. And it feels like Jet Airways has been out of business for an eternity now, and that plane is still grounded. Yep. It's been a while. It's been a while. I mean, we're at 14 months and a few days that the aircraft has been on the ground. And as time has slowed, it it has certainly seemed like it has been longer. And we have absolutely no updates on the 737 MAX. No, there has not been an update on that aircraft in quite a while, which I think if you're an airline that has a bunch waiting to be delivered, just waiting for you know the, the whole saga to end, you are very happy right now that those aircraft are not able to be delivered because you don't have to pay for them and you don't need them right now. It's going to be very interesting to me if and when the 737 MAX is recertified, at what point airlines actually want to take delivery of them. Yeah. Is there a single airline in the world right now that wants to take delivery of these things just because of the current climate? I can only imagine that maybe Southwest wants a handful for reasons that I can't fathom, but that just seems like the logical option. I honestly don't know. I'm sure that there are some airlines that would love to have them for increased fuel efficiency. I think there are a few airlines where they were moving to very small airlines that were moving to an all 737 MAX fleet that are now kind of without a fleet. So that becomes an issue. But as far as most airlines are concerned, no, I can't think of anyone that would want them. The saga continues. The saga continues. We'll do one more economics piece, then we'll take a short break and we'll talk about a bunch of other stuff. In the first quarter financial reports, the only airlines that actually made any money were the regional airlines, at least in the US. For now. <laughs> I said the first quarter. I mean, the second quarter is, I, I don't even want to think about what that's going to look like. But in the first quarter, a few of the regional airlines actually made a profit. So good for them. Yay. <laughs> I feel like we're struggling across the line of any, like, any good news. I would say pulling teeth, but it would seem an affront to dentists. Yeah, hard to be optimistic about that one when you know uh, when you know what's coming. Yeah, 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 the apocalypse yeah. is coming. The hammer is waiting to be dropped. That's fair. So that's certainly very fair. Okay, let's take a quick break. We'll put our smiles on and come back and talk about some other stuff and some good news actually that happened in the past two weeks. Some other not so good news too. So uh, stick with us. We will be right back after a short break. Welcome back. And we come to the second half of the show where we talk about some things that were interesting, not necessarily good news or bad news, some things that are decidedly bad news and sheep. Okay. okay. I don't know where we're going with this, but let's go. I felt it better to surprise you with the sheep. So to set this up, we need to go back to last week when an Antonov AN-124 was flying into Denmark and it was due to land at Copenhagen. But the runway that can handle the AN-124 at Copenhagen 
had been closed the day before for construction work. And the Antonov got to descent, really, and was coming into land. And I haven't listened to any of the audio or if they got a dispatch message or, or something, but they were alerted that they couldn't land because they were too big for the existing runway and they would need to go somewhere else because the runway they needed was closed. Where did they go? They diverted to Leipzig and then refueled there for a couple hours, went up to Bieland and offloaded their cargo there. So Leipzig, that's a that's a detour. So yeah, I mean a detour, and all in all, I think it added you know a, a few hours to the aircraft's trip, and I don't know where the the cargo was destined for. So who knows? Maybe it actually ended up closer to where it needed to be, or or something. So two things here: one, oops, someone didn't read the notums. Well, it was probably hidden between uh, a notum about a crane and another notum about a crane. <laughs> exactly. So that got me thinking because. Somebody mentioned that it was closed for construction. I was like, okay, when did the notum go up? Did they take off and then they closed the runway? Because that seems disappointing. But no, it had been a whole day before. So so somebody made a, a bit of a mistake there and a costly one at that. But then I got to playing with the FAA's new, new notum retrieval service. Over the past couple months, they've transitioned from the old search that was less forgiving in how you asked for things. And they created a new portal, which you, you can search by airport, you can search by FIR, you can search by geographic coordinates. So if you're going to be flying in a certain area, you can search around that latitude, longitude. Those aren't necessarily new, but they have enhanced the free text search. And they've also made it much easier, or I just never found it before, to search historical notums. So I had some fun with it. And this is where we get into to the whole sheep thing. I was searching for interesting things. And Jason, it's funny you bring up cranes because I searched for cranes and there were literally thousands of responses in all of the notums about cranes. Obstacles. I feel like that's probably not helpful. Cranes, cranes erected on the airport, erected off the airport. Some cranes erected 10 miles from the airport. And I'm thinking, okay, we, we, we've covered this in a previous episode, how the NOTAM system doesn't really, isn't really helpful when it comes to certain things. And it's extremely critical that pilots you know, have this information, but what information is important or most important and what needs to be communicated elsewhere. So I was like, okay, we've talked about wildlife. Birds are a big thing. I'll search birds tons of bird notums. I was like, okay, what about other animals? And it turns out that the day I was searching, there was an airport in France that was closed because of the presence of sheep on the runway. Intentional presence or unintentional presence? That was not noted in the notum. However, one assumes that they were intended to be there because I feel like if they weren't intended to be there, they would have gotten the sheep off the runway. Hmm. And I guess that the sheep could be used to mow the lawn. Exactly. Such as it has been done elsewhere with you know sheep, goats, llamas. So I don't know why they were there. I don't know if they were hosting some sort of sheep convention or if they were indeed mowing the lawn. But we'll put a link in the show notes to the new Notum Retrieval Service the FAA has rolled out. And you can have some fun too, or just learn some things about where cranes have been erected near airfields around the world. Oh, I see it now. The runway is still closed due to the presence of sheep. Maybe and the until- sheep have just moved in. <laughs> it's closed until August 13th because of the sheep. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Okay. All right. In a bit of good news, the Garmin Autoland system has now been certified on the first aircraft. The Piper M600 SLS turboprop has now been certified for operation with Garmin's Autoland, which is basically a 
push button landing system designed to operate the aircraft safely to a nearby airfield if a pilot becomes incapacitated. So if you're a pilot flying and you become incapacitated, your one of your passengers could press a button and the plane will land itself. Yeah, it's not basically a, a push button. No, it is, yeah, it's literally, literally a push button landing system. It is system. quite literally, you push a button and the plane will hopefully land itself. So really cool stuff. And it's great to see it certified on the first aircraft. I'm sure that there are, are certainly more in the pipeline that'll be coming. And I know our, our friend John Ostra has flown with it and a few other folks have flown with it. And it'll be interesting to see for sure. It's the coolest technology that I hope to never have to actually use I in mean, reality. Be- between that and the Cirrus aircraft parachute, it's like those are two really cool pieces of technology. Don't want to ever have to use them. But they're good to know they're there. Exactly. This was very recent news and not good news. The EasyJet was affected by a data breach that affected 9 million of its passengers. So if you've flown with EasyJet in the past, be on the lookout for your credit card numbers may have been exposed and your travel details may have been exposed. So they're notifying all of those that have been affected. But if you did in fact fly with EasyJet recently or at any point, keep an eye on those things. Good luck with that. Yeah. So so something that we've seen before with airlines, I don't know if this is the first time that credit card details have been exposed, but this is a very interesting case because usually it's you know personal information, but not credit card details when we're talking about airlines. So this is an interesting one. Two things to close out the show I, I think we should talk about. One of note is that Airbus today, the 19th of May, opened up the A220 line on the final assembly line in Mobile, Alabama. And the first to come off that line, I believe is a JetBlue A220, which will oddly, I I think, not be their first produced aircraft, but the first produced in the US. So that's an interesting note that it's not actually the first A220s produced in the US that happened last year, but they were built temporarily in space, built on the, uh, or borrowed from the A320 final assembly line. Will this be the first A220 for JetBlue? In total? No. No. The release doesn't make it seem that way. The release specifically states JetBlue's first US built A220. So I guess it will not be their first A220, which they are only taking one of in 2020. So uh, I guess they're going to be slowly rolling that one through the mobile facility for the next, uh, I don't know, (laughs) eight months. I mean, yeah, I guess the, the first one will take a while. But knowing JetBlue, we have the possibility of two special liveries. Oh, of course. I mean, why not have every tail a special livery? At Frontier? Yep. Huh? That's a good point. Honestly, I don't know why some airlines don't. I mean, if, if you're going to really lean into the special livery thing, why not? Well, technically, every JetBlue aircraft has a different name, so partial credit? Mm, I, uh, eh. Sure. Because I'm feeling generous. Generous of spirit today. Okay. I'll take it. Yeah, okay. The last thing I wanted to kind of touch on was was traffic around the world, where we're seeing some upticks, where we're not seeing some upticks, and and how up those ticks are, I guess is a a way to put it. The first big drop-off that we saw in traffic was in in China, of course. And that rebounded in early March to about down 60% from down 80% and is slowly creeping back towards about down 50%. So there's a recovery there, at least in terms of 
air traffic. The interesting thing to me though is that the load factors in China were kind of all over the place. And this is really we're talking about domestic travel because all of the international traffic is I mean for the most part cargo still at this point. Very few passenger international passenger flights leaving China. The three largest airline groups at China Southern, China Eastern, and Air China, China Southern and China Eastern both saw higher passenger numbers on the domestic side, a 6.1% increase to China Southern. China Eastern saw a 25% increase in domestic passengers. Air China saw their month-on-month passenger levels drop 4.2%. So the, the load factors there have got to be all over the place. Yeah, we, we have not great insight into what's going on there as opposed to uh, in the US here. At least we, we have a good idea what the load factors are, especially having seen some airlines limit the maximum load factor. Actually, we forgot to mention this earlier, but Delta had set its maximum load factor on aircraft at 50 or 60%. And it's actually having to add flights to its network at this weird time to make sure that they don't go over that load factor limit. That's interesting to me in the sense that we also saw, was it United or American that said today that they're not seeing wide body usage on domestic flights just because the costs are too great. It would be you yeah. Know, I think easier. that was both United and American that said uh, okay. days for now of wide bodies on domestic flights don't expect it. I would imagine that probably doesn't include premium transcontinental routes where they want the the fancy seats for the high tier fares. But I would not expect your random wide bodies from Houston to Newark, let's say. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense to me. The interesting thing about all of this is how long will this last as far as the, the load factor game? Will we get to a point where it just doesn't make sense to restrict load factor anymore? It doesn't make sense to to do anything besides wear your mask, wash your hands, we're, we're booking the flight. I think that's still a very open question. We'll see. The entire episode could just be like, well, I don't know, we'll see. I think you just found the title for it. <laughs> I'm writing that one down. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Yeah, no, so I mean, in thinking about all of this, and I've been doing a lot of looking at numbers and looking at where flights are going and, and how they're going there, nothing is clear to me that that anyone has figured out where this is going. And, and I think the uncertainty is one of the more scary parts of all of this. The only thing that's clear is that nothing is clear and we'll see. Indeed. So why don't we call this a, an episode and stop there before we become any more mystified. And we'll come back hopefully in two weeks with perhaps a slightly less foggy understanding of the situation. If you say so. Again, perhaps unrealistically optimistic, but that is my default position. We'll see, Ian. We'll see. We will see. Episode 85 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.